This is the time in our weekly life where we feast on the words of Scripture. My job is not to be cute or original or to wow you with my presentation or my words. It's just to be simple, straightforward, clear, to take you as a Bostonian to these divine words of Scripture and have them be helpful to you, to move you, to change you, to correct you. So inasmuch as I am straightforward and understandable and clear, good job. Inasmuch as I've tried to be fancy or cute, just let any of that stuff go. Um, This is Advent season. We are preaching on joy together. We're studying the five songs in Luke's gospel, and we're noticing that with each of them, there's an explosion of joy in the soul of the singer, Elizabeth, Mary, the angels, Zechariah, and Simeon. There's gladness that grounds their response to the birth of Jesus. Our big idea in the series is this, that Jesus is for your joy. Remember December 2015 at Seven Mile Road, that's what we want you to remember, that Jesus was born for your joy, that Jesus was crucified for your joy, that Jesus was risen for your joy, that Jesus rose for your joy, that Jesus lives right now, that you might know the Father, love the Father, fear the Father, obey the Father, and in doing those things, live with a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. That's what we're going for. The right response of a gospel-formed family to Jesus in general is joy, and to Christmas especially should be, is supposed to be, joy. All right. Two weeks ago, I preached to you on one big threat to your joy in Jesus, and that was what you expected to hear, sorrow or sadness or depression. We looked at Elizabeth, we looked at her life of sorrow that she lived through, we looked at her grinding, holy, but barren and longing not only for a son of her own, but for a Messiah to come to her. And all of those things washed over Elizabeth's soul in our text. And there was exclamation of wild joy that swept her sorrow away. We actually did back-to-back weeks on that, talking about depression and sadness and sorrow. Today I'm not dealing with sorrow. I'm dealing with something else that robs us of joy. Boredom. Boredom. 20 years ago, Grace and I were married. She worked for America West Airlines, so we were able to fly to Maui, Hawaii for like 20 bucks each. That's the way that used to work. So we did our honeymoon way out there. It was 10 of the happiest days of my life. I got all these markers of my brain of why that was such a joyful time for us. I remember getting checked in by this lady in an all-white suit, and she said, Mr. and Mrs. Cruz, you'll be on the 10th floor. And that was the first time we had ever been called that. Joy. We were newly married. We were enjoying each other physically, affectionately, sexually, like you get to do on your honeymoon. Wild joy. But it wasn't just each other in this new reality. It was Hawaii 
which is energizing and exciting and exotic. I don't know how to paint these pictures for you. The water, not like Revere Beach. (laughs) Warm, clear, like some kind of see-through blue-green. You can see fish and other aquatic animals. The sand, not like Revere Beach. No needles, no Dunkin' Donuts, styrofoam cups, none of the other stuff that you discover in the shore at Revere Beach. The trees, coconuts in these trees. I don't know why I just like smiled at that. Look, coconuts. Even the dirt in Hawaii is unlike anything you've ever seen. Black, dark loam. I was just like picking it up and just like smelling it. The dirt is awesome in Hawaii. Massive joy. The sun sets over the Pacific Ocean and there's nothing to block your view. You just can't believe it. It takes 45 minutes for the sun to go down with every color in the rainbow. We had grins on our faces 24-7. I slept like this. (laughs) Toothy grin while I was sleeping. But we also noticed something else while we were there. The locals, the workers... Not so much, not so much. We were levitating everywhere that we went, but we met a lot of people who were dragging their feet. And I realized something. They live in the middle of this beautiful, fantastic, glorious reality, but these people had grown bored with living in Maui. We are perpetually in grave, grave danger of the same exact thing. The reality of God and the truth of his gospel that we live in the midst of is supposed to energize our souls daily with hope and joy and anticipation. But sometimes we go through stretches, seasons, even years where we've got no energy, we've got no wonder, we have very little joy. We've just kind of grown bored with our lives. My friend Jared Wilson wrote a book called Gospel Deeps. It's about the, the richness, the majesty of the gospel, how deep it is. And in the fifth or sixth chapter, he started the chapter with these words right here. He wrote, If Christ is true, boredom is a sin. You know those moments when you're reading, when you're like, I just can't keep reading, I gotta stop and walk around the room for a second and write down some notes? That happened to me right here. What is boredom? Boredom is a tangible lack of energy, exuberance, joy in your life because you have no purpose. You can't see what's worth getting excited about. You get bored. It's like moss that grows on a tree that's not moving, that's boredom on your life. It's looking at who you are, what you've been called to, what's around you, and yawning. It's shrugging your shoulders and dragging your feet, deflated and grumpy. That's boredom. Why would my friend write that boredom is a sin? It's because boredom is a great affront 
to God. It's a great affront to God. If we are bored with our lives, we are failing to apprehend rightly all that God is, all that He has done for us, all that He is doing for us, all that He intends to do for us in the gospel. You cannot drag through life. You have life. Bored and joyless if God is who Scripture says He is. That would be sinful. All right, now let me amend this a tiny bit for this season and for this sermon and say it like this. If Christ is true, boredom at Christmas is a really bad sin. Honest answer from the grown-ups in the room. That's almost all of us who are in here right now. Honest answer. Can Christmas season get boring? Now, to little kids, that's like such a crazy offensive question. What? But when you've been doing this for 42 years, it can get a little bit boring. Got to go in the attic again, get the lights, put up the wreaths. I got it. We're going to sing some carols. I got to find a halfway decent picture of these kids for the Christmas card. Again, I can't do this again. I've done this too many times. Nativity set. Let me guess what it's going to be. Mary and Joseph, some angels and shepherds, three wise men, no more, no less, a few animals, and a baby in the middle. Did I get it right? Mariah Carey, we get it already. All you want for Christmas is me. Stop asking. You could drag your feet through Christmas. You could do it. What's the problem with that? Boredom with Christmas is boredom with Christ. And Christ is anything but boring. And the incarnation of Christ was anything but boring. It is supposed to stir our hearts with wonder, with energy. It's supposed to flood our souls with joy. So my job right now in walking through these verses of Scripture with you is to exposit for you the joy of the shepherds and the joy of the angels and ask Jesus to help us make it our joy. All right, let's walk through these words together and see what we see. Here's the context. Jesus has just been born. Right there should just take your breath away. The Son of God, eternally existent, the happiest, holiest being in the universe, Jesus. Jesus, who has a glory that is not graspable to our minds, he has laid that aside and he has taken on flesh, stepped into this broken world to save us. He is in Mary's arms right now. She is feeding him, she is consoling him, she is cooing to him, She is just looking at him with wide-eyed wonder. And almost nobody on earth knows about it. Almost no one. They're in a barn. It may even be a cave. We can't tell. They are in the middle of absolutely nowhere. It's the middle of the night. There is no one around. There's no electricity. There's no cars. There's no internet. It is dead, quiet, and calm. Silent night, right? That's the scene on earth. Everybody feel that? 
But what is the scene in heaven on this night? Heaven is shaking. Bethlehem is dead quiet. Heaven is shaking. You know Times Square, 11.59 and 50 seconds? Have you been there or seen that? Remember Bennington Street the night after the Red Sox beat the Yankees in 2004? I was on that street with Chris Coughlin. It was wild. It was 1.30 in the morning or something by the time they won that game. Nobody was asleep. Horns, just giddy people, smiling, shouting, raucous, wild. That is heaven on this silent night. Been waiting, pacing, waiting for God to fulfill His promises. And now, the incarnation of the Son of God has happened. Silent night, raucous night. In our text, these two worlds collide. All right, let's work the words together. In the same region where Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. If you ran a tech company and you were announcing to the world the starting of a brand new app of yours, when and where and to whom would you make that announcement? Think about it. Where would you make that grand announcement? New York City, San Francisco, Palo Alto with all the techies, maybe Austin, Texas, that's where all the millennials are moving to, that's the place to be in the app world. You would do it in some kind of big, crowded, sexy city. When would you do it? You would make sure that your team knew the best time to launch that product the sun would be in the sky. People would be near their phones and awake and alert, ready to get the updates. You would do it at a perfect, bright, lively time. To whom would you make this announcement? The coding community. You know, the, the proud coders who like run the world now. You would definitely want some venture capitalists in on this announcement. If you could get... Kanye and Kim Kardashian to retweet this thing for you. That would be perfect. Celebrities would be good. The movers and the shakers. Why would you do all of these things? You would do it out of pride. You don't want anybody to miss how awesome you are and how awesome this app that you are launching is. That's how you would do this. This is not how it went down with Jesus. Jesus arrived with no pride. No pretense, no fanfare. He came quiet, and he came among the lowly. Where? Where's this story? Is it Rome? Is it at least Athens? Is it at least Jerusalem? Bethlehem. You know, Bethlehem Apathra, or however you say that, that's the way the scriptures read. Why does it say Bethlehem Apathra? because there was bigger and better Bethlehems and they needed to specify, no, no, it's the podunk middle of nowhere Bethlehem, that Bethlehem. That's where this child is born and this announcement is made. When is it made? Middle of the night, everyone is sound asleep. 
to whom is it made? Shepherds. These are the lowliest nobodies in the world. This is the night shift custodian. Gets in at 11, leaves at 7. Nobody even knows that he was there. These are the least impressive, least glamorous, least influential people around. This is the who and the when and the where that God chooses to make his announcement. We should love him for it. We should love him for it. This verse right here means that Christmas and the gospel behind it is for you. It's for me. We qualify. So we've got these shepherds out in the fields. It's the same boring night like every other boring night on this job. Try and stay awake and make sure that nothing bad happens to the sheep. And then we get this. Wild. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. When you think of heaven, do not think of Star Wars or Star Trek or some place that's way, 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 way super far beyond the stars and then you get there. Don't think of it like that. Think of heaven and earth as this close, super connected, just different from each other. The best articulation that we have of this is C.S. Lewis in his Chronicles of Narnia, The kids are playing hide-and-seek. Lucy goes into the wardrobe. She shuts one door behind her. She turns and takes two steps, and all of a sudden, she's in the wintry woods of Narnia. What just happened there? She moved from this world to that one. That's how we're supposed to think about heaven and earth. They're this close to each other. And then sometimes the Lord can overstep those bounds in that kind of way. The wardrobe door is opened in this text. Brilliant light shines through and in steps this majestic, heavenly, unveiled angel in all of his glory. And what is the shepherd's response? Terrified. Three or four years ago, Grace and I were in Vail, Colorado, It was an event that we needed to go to. We're not like wicked big hikers and campers and all that stuff out in the woods. But it was Colorado, right? So like I channeled my inner Julia Spruance and I was like, we're going to go hike something. Let's do it. So we get up early. We go into the woods before anybody else, anybody else. The sun had risen, but it was early cold. And this was June. So we're two lovers walking through the woods, talking, having a good conversation And for some reason, my back is to Grace, and I'm talking to her like this. And she puts on this scared face and put this high-pitched, oh, 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 and she points. I pivoted, and there was um, an elk or a deer, some kind of terrifying, beautiful, glorious, massive creature. I'm six, three and a half, looking me right in my eyes, and then antlers going up from there. So I shrieked like a three-year-old girl, (laughs) and he pivoted and ran off down the stream into the woods. Why was my initial response terror 
and fear at this sight. Not only was this a sh- like a shocking thing, but I'm like, if he puts his head down and snorts and charges right now, it is over for me. Terrified. You feel that? This is the response of every human being in Scripture when they encounter the glory of God or a messenger of God, an angelic being. They're terrified. Why? Because they know immediately, I'm dead. I'm dead. I, all my pretense about being a pretty good Bostonian person is gone in the presence of God, and judgment is about to hit me. I'm dead. Great fear and terror fills them. But instead of getting that, they get this amazing announcement of mercy. The angel said to them, fear not. No, 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 don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Behold, check it out. I'm bringing you gospel of great joy. Everybody see those things tied together? That's a whole sermon series. Gospel is great joy. Gospel of great joy that will be for all of God's people. You feel how cool this is? I was one of those kids that never got sent to the principal's office. You know those kids? Yeah, you don't like them too much. Okay, that was me. Senior year, January, I'm sitting in English class, and over the loudspeaker, Matthew Cruz, please report to the principal's office. Matthew Cruz, to the principal's office. I'm like, oh, no, what in the world did I do? All the way from the second floor to the bottom floor, I'm terrified of what that means. When I get to the principal's office, you know why they called me down there? To tell me that I had gotten accepted into the school that I really wanted to go to and that they had called them up or sent the letter directly to the school that they had just found out. I'm like, why'd you have to say my name over the loudspeaker for that? But do you feel the change of emotion in there? Fear, dread, terror, then the best news ever. That's this text of Scripture. Fear and dread, and all of a sudden, gospel, great joy for the people of God. And here was the ground of that joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The ground of our joy, the ground of the gospel being great joy is the person and the work of Jesus to save us from our sins. That's the announcement of Christmas. And then this, and this will be a sign for you. As you're reading this, what do you think the sign is going to be? It's got to be something wild and huge and awesome, right? So I'm just thinking through what would be like a cool sign. This will be a sign for you. You're going to go down into David's city of Bethlehem, and there's going to be this one house, and it's going to be lit up like a disco ball, just spinning. That's the one. I'm going to take the Big Dipper, and I'm going to flip it upside down, and now it's going to be the big bucket hat constellation in the sky. That's what I'm doing to show off that my son has been born. Maybe you'll go down there and there'll be a standing army ready to hit Jerusalem and take it over. Something huge. None of those things. What was the sign? You're going to find a baby (laughs) wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. Here it is again, the humility of Christ, not the sign that you would have been expecting, 
the angel had to explicitly tell them, this is what you're going to see, but don't think you're at the wrong place. That's, that's the Christ. That's the Savior, the little baby in that teenager's arms. This is true about so many of God's signs, right? They seem weak and meager, but they pack a punch. They are tiny and nothing, but they point to divine, eternal realities. Think of the water that we baptize you in. It's just a horse trough filled with tepid water. It points to new life. Think of the bread in the cup. It's just bread in a cup. It points to the salvation of your souls. It's the same thing with the sign of Christmas. It seems ridiculous. It's humble, but not ridiculous. It's pointing to something huge. That's the sign. But lest we think that God is showing that there is no glory to Christ, rather than just concealing the glory of Christ, we then get these words in the story. Suddenly, there was with that one angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, you have to feel this. Have you ever been to a surprise birthday party for somebody who you loved, who was just awesome? You were so pumped to be there. You ever been there? How does that work? One person somehow keeps the straight face and gets them to the place that they need to be. Everyone else jams and packs themselves into a back room somewhere where the swinging door is the best so you can peer out of that. In the main room, it's kind of quiet. One person doesn't really know what's going on. But in the back room, it's, it's raucous. There's tension. There's energy. Everybody's looking at each other. There's big smiles. They cannot wait to burst through that door. And then when they get the wink or the heads up or the, the, the key words, what happens? They kick that door open and a whole pile of people pour out Shouting, smiling, laughing, pointing, celebrating, hugging, kissing, joy. That's the scene right here. I don't want you to ever miss it ever again in the text of Scripture. That's the scene right here. Angels exploding through that swinging door cannot hold them back. In his first canonical letter, Jesus' apostle Peter says something so interesting. He writes this crazy paragraph where he uses words like salvation, grace, cross, empty tomb, gospel. He uses all of those words talking about the gospel. And then he finishes his thought with these very weird words. He said, these are things into which angels long to look. Think about those words with me. Angels live in the presence of God 24-7, 365, beholding His glory that we one day will behold face-to-face in the new heavens and the new earth. They behold that glory constantly. And yet there is something about the gospel that energizes them and intrigues them and moves them that they long to get a glimpse of this thing that God is doing in Christ. 
what is that about? How is that? Why is that? It's because the gospel, namely that the Son of God has stepped into this broken mess of creation and through his living and his dying and his rising has overcome Satan and sin and death and made all things new and is going to make all things new and holy forever. That thing right there is the highest display of the wisdom and the beauty and the grace and the glory of God. And so Peter says that these things, the gospel, is so deep, so amazing, so wonderful that the angels can't get enough of this story that God is writing. Can you imagine how joyful heaven was that this came pouring out to earth? On edge, amped up, pacing, peering, crammed up against the wardrobe door. Did he tell them yet? Did did the shepherds know? Are they on their way down to see Christ? And there's so much joy and so much wonder that they can't just send one. They're all like, we got to be in on this. We got to be in on this. And they flood the skies, tens of thousands of angels rejoicing in the glory of God and the peace that Christ will bring. Make Cirque de Soleil look like a second grade gymnastics class, okay? Wild joy. That joy jumps from those angels onto the shepherds. Boring night becomes the greatest night ever. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go down to Bethlehem. We got to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. Everybody feel the energy? No boredom in this text. Excited, amped up. Let's do this. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And everyone who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Does everybody feel this story in a new light today? The shepherds go back to their lives, their work, their routines, but they carried into those lives and that work and those routines joy, joy. God glorifying, voice lifting, gospel sharing, joy. What about us? What about you? What about me? Has any of this been the tone of your Christmas so far? Any of this? Is this the tone of your life? Of your life? You do realize that you have more to be joyful about than the shepherds did, right? They just heard this strange announcement of the birth of a baby. You know about the life 
of that child and the death of that child and the resurrection of that child and the grace of that child. If they could have haste and energy and be amped up with glorifying of God and joy, boredom would be a sin, a bad sin for us. Do you realize that you have more to rejoice in than the angels did? Jesus did not come for the angels. He came for the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. That's me. That's you. If angels are flipping out and Cirque de Soleil and singing and glorifying God at the thought of the gospel, how much more joy should we have in this gospel being wrought for us and our children and our cities? If you are bored, if you are bored and have no joy, it's something to repent of. It's something to ask God to remind you of who he is and what he's done and what he's doing. May our Christmas and our lives have this tenor of rejoicing. It's right. It's right. Let's ask for that together. Father, thanks for these words. They're kind of familiar to us, but we can miss them. I pray that we wouldn't this morning. I pray there would be no feet dragging in the life of Seven Mile Road this Christmas. I pray that there would be no shoulders shrugged in the life of Seven Mile Road this Christmas. I pray that we would be rightly energized, rightly joyful, that joy would be grounded in Christ saving us, in the glory of God. Don't let us be shamed by the shepherd's joy or the angel's joy. Let us trump it. Let us trump their joy. Hear my prayer and answer. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks for listening in on that. We know from Scripture that it was...